right there. Good morning, church family. And yes, indeed, we are a family uh, for three weeks. Now, this is our third week in our Family Dynamics series. We have focused on strong children, strong parents, strong marriages, strong singles, strong husbands and fathers, strong wives and mothers. Today, our focus is on the one family that will be our, our eternal family. Let me say that again. The one family that will be our eternal family, that is the church family. The best place to raise a biological family is in the context of a healthy church family, and that's who we are, brothers and sisters, and so we're going to talk about that today. How we can have a healthy church family and your role in the healthy church family. And to show that this family includes everyone, everyone who's a part of this church, and if you're visiting today, welcome. We're just going to consider you friends that we've invited to the party. And this is a party every Sunday morning. Uh, So to show that this is for everybody, I have three gift cards to give away today, and I have a beautiful assistant. Come on, Sophie. Come on up here. I want to give these gift cards to uh, three different people we have here. How about the youngest person in the room? Got any newborns, Chris Rager? Anybody want to vote against that? Uh, All right, who's the youngest person in this room? Babies, kids, seventh grader? Cole family? Who do we have? All right, run that right down there. Raise your hand, Cole family. All right, there you go. Go, Sophie. All right, next is the person who most recently is the closest to 18 years old. You either just turned 18 or you're about to. I see somebody getting a nudge, Chris Rager. We're voting against him again. All right, December. Woo! Way to go, Kendra. Right there. And then finally, the, who has been married the longest and widows would count? Who, has had the, who, who got married the longest ago? Anybody over 50 years? 56 years? Can anybody, wait, can anybody beat 56? No, they win. Go, Sophie. And thank you for having Scott Schramm as a son and for being here this morning. Yes, we are all a family. We could give prizes out to everybody. Sorry, I just couldn't do that today. But uh, we're all members of the Community Grace family. And you know what? Sometimes when we talk about the word family, uh, not everybody has rosy, great pictures of that. A lot of families are dysfunctional. And honestly, a lot of church families are dysfunctional. That's one of our aims in this whole sermon series and in our whole journey as Christians in the Word is to move beyond the dysfunction, to heal from that. We want to take on the attacks of the world, the flesh, and the devil that try to destroy our families at home and our lives and our church family. And so this family needs to be aware of all that and here for each other with our eyes focused on Christ and what we share eternally. And the fact is that we all have a role in bringing health to an otherwise dysfunctional family. To see what each role, uh, exactly what role each of us has, we're going to turn to one of the most important passages on this topic in the Bible. That's Titus chapter 2. We're going to start in chapter 1, though. So if you don't have your Bibles open yet, please do. And Chris always has sermon notes, bulletins, pens available for you. If you didn't get those yet, just raise your hand and he'll put them in your hand. 
So we're going to begin with chapter 1 and give some context. Let's begin first asking, making sure that we all know, what is Titus? What is this little book called Titus? It is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the young church leader Titus, and it is first about, this is point number one on your notes, it's first about how to set up and run a healthy church. Here's the background. As Paul traveled through the Mediterranean, he led people to Christ, a lot of people to Christ. And what we learn is you don't just uh, lead someone to Christ and let them on their own. It's not just an individual thing. No, you gather with people. You congregationalize. You become uh, a community with one another, God's people, and become a family. This is by God's design. And so these people who trusted Jesus in every city, they came to Christ and they came together, as, as Jesus commands, into Christian communities that we call churches. And they began to multiply rapidly. These churches spread out all over the known world. And these churches faced some obvious questions then. What sort of community are we to be? How does this work? What are we? Who are we? What do we do? How do we set up and run such a thing? And so the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Titus, and that's where he begins in chapter 1. He, Titus, he commissioned Titus to oversee all these little young churches all throughout the island of Crete in Greece. And this letter has become a concise masterpiece blueprint for how to set up and run a church that honors Christ. So after a greeting, it gets right to the first priority in setting up a new church, and that is in verses 5 through 9, set up godly leadership. It's the first thing that's got to be in place. Right away, right away, Paul gives this famous list of character qualities for church leaders. Let's, I'm just going to read these verses, follow along with me, and, and he gives about 20 different character qualities. And notice that these are not skills. These are character qualities. So let's look at these character qualities. Verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's quite a list, huh? Now, it's important to understand that this list is not just for elders. When we look at Scripture, we see that these character qualities are, are for everybody in the entire church. These are marks of maturity in Christ for everyone. And the idea, though, is you have this pool of, and you need to have everyone trying to grow in these ways, and you select your church leadership from the people who are maturing in those things. So we put the elders and, and other church leaders in place. And then next, as we go on to verse 10, verses 10 through 13, Paul tells Titus to train the churches to watch out for false teachers and to confront them so they don't destroy the church family. 
So this is how to set up and run a church. You get strong leadership, godly leadership, and then you watch out for people who are trying to destroy the church. Let's read these verses, verses 10 through 13. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. You mean there's a political party that's corrupt? <laughs> Not a new thing, I guess. Um, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And he goes on with other intense remarks here, but our aim isn't to look at those verses today. But notice here that we don't just kick people out of the church. Paul says in verse 13, rebuke them sharply, rebuke them sharply, that they may become sound in the faith, that they'll repent, that they'll grow, okay? We've got to minister to people that have wrong ideas and wrong lifestyles with truth and grace so that they'll come to the truth. We need to know these things. We need to grasp these, these ways that we function. Or it may come to the point, and we have to, and I'm not gonna look, but if you look at the end of chapter three, the last chapter at the end of the book, there may come a point where they are so unrepentant that they need to be put out of the church. So we need to know that as well for the church's own health. So we take all that into consideration, and now these instructions for how to run, to set up and run a healthy church with godly leadership sets us up for chapter two, how the entire church now contributes to having a healthy church family. We've got the leadership in place. We've got the things to watch for. Now, how the entire church functions as a family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, who God our Father has saved by our faith through Jesus, through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, and calls us children, brother, daughters and sons. We are brothers and sisters. And now Titus 2 gives us the blueprint of how the community grace family needs to function to be healthy. And that's point number two, is how to have a healthy church family. All right, so let's dig into here. And this is, God's talking to everyone here. Everyone here. So let's see how. Listen, pray that the Holy Spirit gives you ears to hear what he's saying to you today. All right, so chapter two, verse one. But as for you, teach the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Uh, this is the basis here. Paul's telling Titus, it's all based in sound doctrine. That's critical. There's so much unsound doctrine. This is critical. Never deviate from God's word. Never be intimidated by the shifting views of culture. We're living in a time, unlike any other time in human history, where the shifting views of culture change almost every day, don't they? We base everything on sound doctrine of the word, never deviating from it in the face of anything. Now, next, in verses 2 through 6, Paul addresses all the members of the church by spiritual maturity and giving the requirements that are fitting to sound doctrine and necessary in order to have a healthy church. So before looking at them, know that these are not exhaustive lists. Okay, we're not going to see a million things. The exhaustive list is this. It's the whole word of God. So these are just kind of sample lists of the things that we need to be discipling each other and, and growing in together. 
But he says, in order to have a healthy family, here's what you must have. First, you must have healthy, older men and women. So, older men and women, let me talk to you. Everyone else listen because you'll be there too someday. Uh, I'm in that category. There's plenty of men younger than me. So I'm talking to myself here. You must have healthy older men and older women. Verses 2 and 3 first. Older men are to be sober-minded. This is temperate, temperate in all things. Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. That's endurance. So men, brothers, join me in the pursuit of these things for the sake of your own life and for the sake of the health of the church. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in, behave, in behavior, respectful, not slanderers, lying and gossiping and talking bad about people, or slaves to much wine, and you can apply that to addiction of any kind. They are to teach what is good. All right, so with these two simple sentences... Paul introduces the importance of godly, mature men and mature women in, in the church. And this is, cannot be overstated. The importance of godly men and godly women in the church, all functioning together as a healthy family would, is massive. I mean, you cannot overestimate it. Massively important to the entire church, to the next generations, to discipleship happening, to the sanctifying work that happens in the church, and the world changing that we do out of the church. Everyone's a part of this family. Got to be an active part. Now, more time could be spent analyzing these lists. We could break down each word and, talk and do a whole sermon on each of them. And that's not the purpose for today. I think that you can grasp the sense of what we're talking about. This holy, pure living, uh, godly living, sound doctrine, pursuing Christ, changing the world that we're looking for. The aim is that you know how today for today is that you know how important you are to this whole process. Now, the most important quality for men and women to possess is godly character. You see that on your notes. Godly character. It's not about uh, skills and, and leadership positions and things like that as much as it is godly character. Paul's use of the word older here, I want to clarify, does not necessarily mean somebody's age. Somebody can be young in the faith at an older age. But it generally goes along with age because it's about the character that's formed over some time of abiding with Christ. Of making bad decisions and learning from them. Gaining wisdom. Of just time learning what the Bible says. How it differs from what the world says. So that takes some time. You haven't just stopped living foolishly because you're running out of energy. You stop living foolishly because you're leaving behind your childish ways, which the Bible says. So that's what we're talking about. This is the older. This is the sense of the older men and women. Your faith has grown. You know some things. You've learned some things. And that you have all of those things that I've just said available to pass on to the next generations so that the church will grow beyond mediocrity. And for that I ask, have you ever noticed that the church often accepts mediocrity more than just about anything else in the world? Let me explain. If a young man 
among us starts to show, just picture a young man, and he starts to show maybe a teenager, uh, just an amazing hunger for the word and just sacrificial service. And he's there every opportunity and he's sacrificing all his time and he's passionate about the things of God. What do we say to him? Usually we'll say, you need to go to seminary and become a pastor. When you know what we should say, we should say, that sounds like a Christian. That sounds like a Christian. Jesus has transformed us. He's turned us from dead into living. We should say, yeah, that, that should be everybody. I mean, that should be something that we all are attaining to. We don't seem to flinch at a man or a woman saying, I've been walking with God for 20 or 30 or 40 years, but I don't have anything to offer the younger generation. I don't really know anything about the Bible. That's a trap. And I want to, I want to call people out on that. I want to call that sense out of your heart. That's not true. If you've been walking with God for 20, 30, 40 years, or even just a few good years, you've got all kinds of things. No, you might not have all the answers, but don't fall into that trap. That's part of the journey is discovering answers that you don't know with somebody that's younger. So this doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Let's say um, any other field, construction, military, truck driving, nursing, doesn't matter what it is. If, if anybody who's been doing that role for 20, 30, 40 years um, was there and a, and a young person just getting started in that role said, uh, I'm just getting started in, in, in construction. Um, you've been doing this for 30 years. Can you show me some things? You'd never expect that 30-year-old or 30-year experienced construction foreman to say, ah, no, I, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I, I'd have nothing to teach you. That just doesn't make sense anywhere else in the world, and it doesn't make sense with Christianity either. The fact is you do know some things. And there's a huge need for younger believers, whether they're children or any age who have just come to Christ, Coming to church on Sunday just isn't enough. It's not enough. It's proven not to be enough. The Bible declares it not to be enough. Jesus modeled discipleship for us. That's what he put into place. It's not enough. So you do have a role here, and you have been called to pass that on to all the younger brothers and sisters in the church family. This is Titus 2. Nobody's, nobody's excluded from this. This role, our young people and our singles and our marriages, we need this. We need people pouring into, we're just making mistakes and, and being uninformed throughout our daily and weekly lives unnecessarily. So if we're going to have the next generations grow in Christ, not walk away from the church like they have been in, in masses over the last couple generations, it's on all of us to pour into them in relationships. As Titus 2 said from the beginning, these are your roles in a healthy church family, which we long to be. Then we come to verse 4. Verse 4 instructs the older women. So older women, let me uh, address you right now. It says, and so train the young women. Let me stop right there and talk to just the women here uh, because I'm a dad of six daughters. And I, pour, I will pour out everything I can to raise these six daughters to be godly girls. But it's not enough. Sarah and I are going to do all we can as parents 
to raise these girls, and it's not enough. Um, we're, you know, we'll, te- we'll teach them the family devos. They'll come to the sermons. But they need older girls to speak into their lives. They need you moms of their friends to speak into their lives. They need the teachers that they have and the youth leaders to speak into their lives. Thank you, Anna, for taking two of my daughters out to Martin's. That just thrilled them, and they learned so much from their small group leaders. They need all the wonderful adopted grandmothers at Community Grace to speak into their lives. And praise God they're getting it. And so should every young person or person younger in the faith. We long for them to grow up strong in their faith. And the way the world bombards and combats and assaults truth and good doctrine, they need all of this, all of you. Plus, they're driven by the media and friends not to listen to their parents. What's the constant message of media? Your parents are idiots. Don't trust them. Don't listen to them. Do your own thing. You're your own God. And now the popular message is to tell my daughters that they may not even be girls. And that's becoming so pervasive. We have biblical truth, and they need to hear it more than just from me and their mom, but from all of us. Do we agree with this? Are we in this together? Oh, man, I love being here in this church family. We must have healthy older men and older women. And then to have a healthy church family, Paul moves on. In the second part of verse 4 and verse 5, you must have healthy younger women. So here's what we're looking for for the young women. Verses 4 and 5, I'll read all together. And so train the young women to love their husbands. And even if they're not married, they need to decide now to love their husbands in the future and their children and to do things now that don't spoil things and ruin things for their future relationships. So that absolutely applies to even little girls. Train the young women to love God's future for them or their current husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, doesn't mean you can't have a job outside the home. I won't go into that anymore. But working, being diligent at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So once again, this list is not exhaustive. The exhaustive list is here, the whole word of God. This is a list to get you going, though. These were important enough to at least put in this list to love our husbands and children, to be self-controlled, not a wild, out-of-control party girl, not experimenting with everything in the world, but healthy, living a pure life. You know it's God's best. It's God's best for their joy and for the word of God not to be reviled, for God not to be uh, slandered. There are so many mentors and opportunities here at Community Grace. We just need to have everyone step forward and make the connections. Uh, I'm going to actually mention some of the opportunities that we have uh, in our church to get connected in this kind of discipleship at the end of the message today. Pretty exciting. Okay, so I'm going to move on. And then to have a healthy church family, Paul says you must have healthy younger men. Let's look at verse 6. To the younger men, the Bible says, likewise, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, wait a minute here. 
why is there no list for young men? Everybody else had a list, right? I mean, the young women had nine things. Now, self-controlled is very important. But come on, one thing? Where's the list for the young men? That's because the list for the young men is in chapter 1. And it's a long list. It's the list for the elders' requirements. Remember, they're not just for elders. There's something for everyone in the church to attain to. So we go back to verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at those again. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. If you don't, just listen and remember the list that we read, those 20 character qualities, and ask yourself if you have sons or grandsons or just the little boys that you run around uh, in the church. That's your church family sons, your surrogate sons here in the church family. Who wouldn't want these boys, your sons or grandsons, to be above reproach, which means not bringing shame to the family? Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want their sons to be Faithful husbands of one wife. Would we want them to be adulterers? Of course not. We want them to be faithful husbands of one wife. Who wouldn't want them to be arrogant? Uh, who would want their sons to be arrogant or drunkards or brawlers, you know, always getting in fights, or greedy men? You wouldn't want that for your sons. No, but to be hospitable and honorable and upright and holy and disciplined. We want them to hold firm to the word of God and to be able to teach that word what they know and to be able to discern and stand against false doctrine that contradicts it. This is the list for young men. Elders serve as an example. An example means, if you're an example, it means that somebody else is looking at you. And all the young men of our church should rightly look up to our elders as examples. And I love that. And we have a strong group of elders here, and I'm very appreciative of that. Not just elders, all kinds of strong men in this church, strong women as well. So our younger men and women need to walk with the mature believers and see their models and learn their wisdom and have time and opportunity to spend time together with your church family. Once again, the best context in which to raise a healthy family or healthy young people is in the context of a healthy church family. So I said that today we're not going to look closely at all those things in the lists. Uh, that would take a whole long sermon series. But there is one that I want to touch on right now, and that's because this is an area of attack uh, on the family. It's purity. It's an attack on the family. It's an attack on our youth. It's an attack not just on our youth, but everybody these days. We just live in a time and a culture. There have been lots of other cultures that worship other things. Our culture happens to worship impurity. I'm reading through the Old Testament. Man, that was pretty common back then, too. We'll get back into that in Exodus. But being pure is, is so important. It's under such great attack. Let me just address this a little bit more today. Purity for both men and women. Man, this is an area that is absolutely putting a wet blanket on the fire of the church. The church is powerless as long as people are stuck in this in impurity, a lack of a holy life. So men, let me speak to you first as brothers on this journey together, and it's a daily moment-by-moment moment moment battle. We know that men know, men know this about ourselves, that we are extremely visually 
oriented. That's how we're hardwired. That's how we're hardwired by God, and I believe there's good reason for that. But we are quickly lured into lust and sin by the things that we see, and the world all around us says, you can look all you want, and here it is all over the place, and value nudity and sex and porn and, and all those things. And, and the world's message is, constantly check out these women and anything else you want to because they are objects for your pleasure, for your lust. And lust only knows one goal, that's to satisfy itself. That's the world we live in, that's the flesh that we have. But listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Hear the words of Christ. He said, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus speaks pretty boldly, doesn't he? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better, better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And so because this is so pervasive and so serious, brothers, we need to be there for each other. Encourage each other. You need to watch out, but don't sit there in isolation and try to conquer these things yourself. And so, because we're a church family, because we're brothers, and because we know this, and Jesus puts a high bar here, here at Community Grace, we're going to launch what's called the Conquer Series this summer, either in June or July. We're going to take a poll and see when the most men are available for it. This is a 10-week uh, group uh, journey, and it is the absolute best tool for conquering the scourge of pornography and those kind of impurities in our society and in our church. If this is a struggle of you, it's discretionary, it's great. If this is not a struggle of yours, that's fine. It's a struggle of most of the men and boys that you know. So bring people in. I have seen countless men restored through this over the last decade. It is well worth it, and it's what we're going to do next in this area as men of community grace. Men and women, God has much to say about purity and modesty, things that are so countercultural to this culture. The world says be sexy and wear provocative clothing to empower yourself, right? But studies can continue to show that this practice has lowered women's sense of life satisfaction. God always says the truth. He always knows the truth. He says, because, God says, because modesty is what gains respect and dignity, and immodesty turns people into objects for others to consume. I just want to drop that plain, common-sense truth from God's Word. I speak today as a concerned pastor who wants the best for our church family in a world where sex outside of marriage is virtuous. And just dwelling in, in this is, is virtuous. But they're not. They're not God's best design. And so he lovingly tells us, I'm going to read Romans 6, 12 and 13. He tells us to be pure. Listen to these words. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. He's calling us to far greater than this. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Every part. 
So I want to spark these conversations now to have among the relationships of the church family between older men and younger men and older women and younger women. And I hope that this is a spark to launch even further. But we already do well, but we need to do much, much better, always growing in these things. Everybody engaged in the church family. For this topic and every other topic in life. It's every other topic in life. Healthy churches. Know that Jesus also designed the church family to be a place of healing. We talked about that dysfunctional family that maybe you have one or grew up in one. Maybe family is a bad word in your mind. Understandable. The church family is often dysfunctional as well. But Jesus designed the church family at its best to be a place of healing and health for the more broken situations. And so point D is you must have healthy singles, single parent families, widows, orphans, and others. This has to be a place for healing and health. I'm sorry, this is not a social club. It's not a country club. That's not just a cliche. You need to check your heart when people who are different than you or broken or not doing the things that you approve of come into the church. This is a place for healing, for patience, for grace, for truth. The reality of of the fall of mankind into sin means that families are never perfect, never ideal. And sometimes people are single who do not wish to be, infertile who who do not wish to be. We need to be there for those people so nobody's isolated. Sometimes people must be a single parent. That's one of the toughest jobs in the world. You know what makes it a whole lot easier? The church family is there carrying that load however we can. Sometimes people are widows, orphans, divorced, or stretched by special needs. Where does the church family enter the picture for all of these? To judge them and ignore them? Don't just say no without really meaning it. It's not a place to just judge and, and be done with them or to, to ignore them. God most assuredly has a heart for all of these situations. It just screams out in the pages of Scripture, and it's commanded for us as a priority. And so Titus 2's outline for church-wide discipleship is never more intensely crucial when it, than when it comes to these, these situations. And this is why it doesn't happen in so many churches, because it's messy and it's hard. But that's glorious, isn't it? If you've ever helped somebody in a bad situation, you, you know how glorious it is, and it's worth our time and sacrifice. Here's one practical step that, that we can all take very easily. I've seen this movement in a previous church. Uh, there's a phenomenon that I wasn't even aware of until the first time I heard it. Maybe this is the first time you've heard of this as well. And that's when uh, a widow is made, or a widower becomes a widow or a widower, All of a sudden, it's just a natural dynamic that we have to fight against. All of a sudden, they're not invited to the same couples and families outings that they used to be. It's just true. It's just natural. It doesn't happen. It's like, oh, we're getting together as families or as couples. Let's turn that totally upside down. And if I could ask every family and small group and event to include widows or Divorced situations, 
I've heard from divorced people reach even greater levels of ostracism because they're a lot more complicated than a widow situation. Let's turn all of that upside down. And families with special needs are extra difficult because there are so many types of special needs and there's a lot of ignorance. So we're making some difference here. We've, we've set out to do some training and equipping and facilitating. And just it starts with this, with hearing the word of God penetrate your hearts and saying, yes, that's important to God. It's important to me. Let's make it happen. Let's make that a characteristic of community grace and see how honoring Christ in that way affects all of our lives. These things can't, can't be missed if we want to have a healthy church family. And so we must have point E, we must have healthy relational environments. We'll keep pouring into the Sunday worship service, but that's just a a shred of what church really is, of what church family really is. We have to have strong, healthy relational environments as well. In a church of almost 300 people, which we are right now, we have the power to do a lot of great things in the world for Christ. But if we rely on Sunday mornings only for health, we'll do none of it. We'll do none of it. It doesn't work that way. We've got to have healthy relational environments to experience the love and support of discipleship and care where we spur each other on to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10, where we bear each other's burdens. I'm not bearing anybody's burdens Sunday morning at 9.15. I am in relational environments, where we grow in Christ, challenging each other to put away the childish things and to grow in maturity and experience God's best. So here's just a snapshot of the things that we need to have health in and everybody needs to be a part of, offering what you have to offer. Here's a, a list of our relational environments. Small groups are the, are the key one, and I would love to see everybody in a small group, and almost all of our church is, and I celebrate that, and, and um, I really appreciate all you leaders that are doing the shepherding work in the church and relationships. Uh, marriage mentorship, we, we had a, lot, a good response two weeks ago for that. If you want to be a marriage mentor or have a marriage mentor, put that on your communication card. I'm really excited to announce, wow, just in the last few days, uh, how many of you were among the 18 women that came for just that first introduction meeting? Look at all these hands. All right, so there's a movement here uh, among the women right along with Titus 2. And I asked Jen Stichter, who, who started the meeting, I said, any chance you could have that meeting after this sermon? Because, man, I'm preaching on that this Sunday. And we agreed, no, that last week was the right week, and God really blessed that. Um, so this is just kind of a reinforcement sermon of, of what you all talked about uh, last Thursday night. And a big part of my aim today, my purpose today, is to convince you that just discipling one or two other women in a one-on-one or with, two, with a group of three, if that's all you did, that's enough. That's awesome. That I want to put a big vision on that. That's what Jesus modeled for us. I mean, I, I firmly believe that. That's how the world gets changed is one at a time. Conquer Series, I mentioned all the other ministries and teams we're going to make as healthy as we can. Hospitable homes, we're seeing increasingly more discipleship being done in our homes throughout Community Grace. This glorifies God and leads to the world's greatest joy, so keep it up. 
I'm going to conclude with a couple next steps here that are very critical for us to take at this point. If God's moving in your heart, uh, number one is to join God's family through Jesus. People enter the church family and an intimate relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, which means if you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior from sin, all of this doesn't make sense. Come to him and receive this and so much more. You're separated from God by your sins right now. Jesus died for those sins already. They're paid for if you receive him. Receive it. And then he'll welcome you into his family. Trust him today if you've not. You can write that on your communication card and we'll follow up with you. Love that. Number two then is to get involved with the church family. I don't need to say anything more. That's what the whole sermon's been about. It's just up to you now. Will I become involved the way God is leading me to? Many of you already are, but some of you aren't. So this is a calling for everybody to enter into what God provides and calls us to. Third, this is a fun one. All right, so we've got these family signs. Together we make a family. The five little houses, six little houses, I can count. Um, and then the big giant one over there. And we're going to give those away as, as prizes for everyone who does the following. If you want to win any one of those three things, uh, next week we're going to give them away. Here's what you have to do to be entered. Take out your communication card and see how this is going to benefit everybody. And write family prayer and then write some prayer request. Some way we can pray for your family. And then the elders in the, in the church prayer team, which you can also join if you want to write, yes, I'll be on the E prayer team. We're going to pray for those things. Your family's going to be prayed for. And then we'll draw out of those cards next week just for fun and give away these signs. Does that sound good? All right, so grab one of those communication cards. If you didn't get one, you'll have to go find one and put it in the box on the walls before you leave today. That's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, we've heard from the word now we're going to move into the bread and the cup and honor the sacrifice, the cost that it costed Jesus to start this church family uh, by taking communion, bread and cup, the elements. Um, so let me pray, and then the guys will get into place and the worship team as well. Lord God, we devote this family in our lives, our families that we're trying to raise and influence and be a part of our social circles. I pray that this really matters, that Jesus matters more than anything to us and that we'll put these things well into motion in our values and in our actions so that the world may be blessed through our obedience. And Lord, now as we turn to this act that you've given us for all of time until you return, just to remind ourselves of who is our God, of how our God humbly sacrificed to serve us, to lift us up. Uh, we, we devote this, this time of worship and response to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.